Oh, we are champions. SEC champions, just like I predicted, by the way. Just like I told you was going to happen. I told you we were cutting down the nets in Tampa. And what did we do? We cut down the nets in Tampa. Reed's Ranch is proud to partner with Marcos Garza and the Garza Law Firm. Before you say guilty, say Garza. Marcos and his team are East Tennessee's premier DUI defense lawyers. They also handle criminal injury. Scratch that. They also handle criminal defense and personal injury. If you find yourself needing legal representation, trust the people who trust us to help get the message out to you. Marcos Garza and his team have been repping East Tennessee and helping them for over 20 years. They'll help you to get the best result possible. If you find yourself in trouble, you're going to want the best result possible. And that's what Marcos will try to do for you. Garzalaw.com, or you can call them at 865-540-8300. You'll get an answer 24-7, 365. Garzalaw.com. Let's get to this championship edition of Reed's Ranch. It's a three-way again. Will Warren joining us on the from his car. Hopefully the audio is not too bad. I'll try to clean it up the best I can. And we will, you know, break down. Tennessee cutting down the nets, and Tennessee getting a little screwed when it came to seeding. Let's go. I mean, this is the last stand. You're listening to The Unfiltered. Well, I hate to say I told you so. There's nothing to be done besides to get on Twitter and tweet to all my dumbass followers. (laughs) But I told you so. Hey, I told you so. The controversial. He's a dumbass. He can't do math. He's an idiot. He gets his haircut at Walmart. Look at that shitty haircut. The realest podcast in the Southeast. Let the dogs loose. Let the goons be goons. 11 in a row. 11 in a row. 11 in a row. Enough. 38 in a row. As in 38 on extra point when we were whipping that ass. Ranch gang, stand up. The holy war is upon us. Welcome to Reed's Ranch, the podcast with Seth Hughes. Like, just quit acting like this is any fun at all. A special championship edition of Reed's Ranch. Seth Hughes joins me down in Alabama. Will Warren joins me on the road somewhere in Middle Tennessee. It is Monday. It is March 14th. How are we doing, boys? Doing great. Seth, it was such a joy to see you this weekend. (coughs) The embrace that we shared (coughs) at the end of the Kentucky game, the kiss on the neck that you gave me once we finally beat Texas A&M to celebrate an SEC championship is something I will never forget. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, wait. You didn't come. Couldn't find a plane ticket. Do you know how many people I ran into that asked if you were going to be there? Do you know how many Reed's Ranchers were down there saying, where's Seth? Where's Seth? Where's Seth? Only like five, but still, that's quite a bit, you know, to be nine hours away. Yeah, I tried to come. I tried to come. I I sat and looked at plane tickets. I had my mom looking at plane tickets, looking through her vacation club to see if we could find anything. Couldn't find anything. There was nothing. They were all just... There was nothing. I tried. I wasn't going to drive. I wasn't going to drive. If only, if only there wasn't a caravan riding down, a one-man caravan or a one-car caravan riding down on Thursday that you could have tagged I, I along ma- with. I made a mistake. I made a mistake, and that's on me. 
You missed something that hadn't been done in 43 years. And when we did do it 43 years ago, it wasn't even that special because we hadn't waited 43 years to do it before then. I made a mistake. You also made a mistake in doubting these boys. I will say that for both Will Warren and Seth Hughes. You both made mistakes by doubting the Vols. I, on the other hand, told you all for weeks that we were cutting the nets down in Tampa. You guys didn't believe. I did. We're champions. I told you so. And I would like an apology from both of you, starting with you, Seth. I did. I, I, I did not think that we would be – I did not think we would beat Kentucky on Saturday. I was wrong. And not only was I wrong, uh, I was quite wrong as the game was pretty we much – We kicked their ass. We kicked was, their ass. It was uh, I, maybe domination is too quite strong a word, but I don't. It was almost a quiet domination, a subtle domination. I mean, it was tied four to four with 17 minutes to go left in the first half. We hit a three to go up seven to four, and we never trailed again. I will say that inside the arena, because again, I was there because I believed in the Vols. All of the Big Blue Nation, they they knew they were dominated. They were groaning. They were just fed up with their team. They were disgusted. They even tried to blame their officiating, which is laughable. But they just knew that they had nothing for Tennessee on that night. They knew that none of their people could shoot on their team anymore. Kellen Grady looks like a mid-major guy all of a sudden. And they knew that they couldn't stop Tennessee and that Candy Chandler was the best player on the court. They knew that they got dominated. So I'll accept your apology. Will Warren, it's your turn. Hand up. That's on me. I doubted Tennessee, and I was wrong. I mean, I, I figured... Like, I figure every year there was some sort of kick in the balls coming, even yesterday. But it just never came. And it's nice to uh, to see something good finally happen. Seth, were you ever worried yesterday when Texas A&M kind of started creeping back into it? No. Because we have Candy Chandler and they don't. Yeah, I just... I was not even... I don't know, it was weird to say that you could play Kentucky and not be, like, truly worried. And, like... I, I was slightly worried against Kentucky, but nothing, like, crazy. Like, Tennessee was just flat out better than Kentucky on Saturday, but I never, like, when Tennessee got up 14 to nothing yesterday, it was over. I mean, I mean, it wasn't over, but you know what I mean? Like, I was never worried. Like, I mean, A&M was dead. They, I imagine that's a lot like the Americans felt when we slayed the Russians in 1980. And then had to turn around and play like Finland or whoever the hell it was in, in the U.S. hockey. Because, you know, you slay the bad guys, the team you want to beat more than anything. And at least in 2019, you had Auburn waiting for you, a team mm-hmm. you hated and respected. And yesterday you had Texas A&M playing their fourth game in a row. And it felt like a formality. And then when you beat the rest, you know, out of the gate and jumped up 14 to nothing, you kind of knew it was over. And then you were just kind of waiting in a, you know, 60% full arena waiting for, you know, to, to, to get to cut down the nets, and then everyone had to travel back home. Really stupid it wasn't in Nashville. But I'll take it if that means that we were champions, and we are champions. We did it. I feel bad for a and I mean, like, just even the Thursday game, I mean, that game is basically, the game against Florida is basically a game to see who really gets to be on truly on the bubble. So, you know, and they win it in overtime. Then they have to play Auburn. And they have to play Arkansas, and it's at the end of that, another top ten team is waiting for them, who is playing the best it has, and just suffocates them to death. I mean, just. I mean, they dominated Auburn and Arkansas as well. Like it's yeah, really but, sad that they, 
Not so much that they had to play Tennessee and get beat because, you know, they're just not in our class, but that they didn't get in the tournament. I think it's downright shameful that both Notre Dame and Michigan got in over them easily, and I think that's kind of pitiful. I thought that, you know, they should have been punished and Texas A&M should have been rewarded. And I do wonder what the SEC will do moving forward about their conference tournament. They have to I don't do know something. If, I, don't, I don't even know if moving it days will really matter because, you know, A&M won on Friday and Saturday and it didn't matter. It wasn't like the championship. They got, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't like it was a bad loss where it was like, oh, you can't get in because you lost to Tennessee because, no, obviously Tennessee's a good team. So it obviously didn't matter to the committee that they had even won on Saturday. So I don't know if moving it matters. And, you know, Rick Barnes, I thought, really got his point across pretty well today when he said, you know what, maybe the top teams in the SEC should just start resting their players in the tournament. Yeah. Because there's obviously no benefit in winning. Go ahead, Will. I agree with him. I mean, it's like if Tennessee can win three games, two of those against quad one teams, and, you know, they basically move up one spot from whatever that bracket reveal was four weeks ago, what's the point of the conference tournament? Why wouldn't you just opt out and let A&M or Florida or whoever get in instead? Also, what the hell was the point of the early bracket reveal? Because Tennessee, you know, was really damn good after that bracket reveal and, you know, got jumped by a Wisconsin team that lost at home to Fred Hoiberg in Nebraska. Yeah, since the bracket reveal, Tennessee lost one game at Arkansas. They also beat Auburn, beat Arkansas, and beat Kentucky twice. Since the bracket reveal, where we were the 11th seed. My, if, if beating Kentucky and A&M on a neutral site – cannot put you above Wisconsin, then what's the point? Does it sound like there is one, Seth? No, it was just, it's uh, it's very frustrating to me that after all these years of pure misery at this tournament, the year we finally win it is the year where it is just rendered just absolutely useless for the entire nation to see. And I hate it that the selection show was yesterday because I really like yesterday should have been simply like a day of celebration for Tennessee fans, you know, like all these years of just getting gut punched in this tournament, getting embarrassed when we shouldn't have, and just losing these, these heartbreaking championship games all these years, we finally won it. And I just wish we could have just celebrated it as SEC champions. Um, Instead, a couple hours later, it got turned around and, like, you know, as soon as Duke got the two seed in Greenville, it was, you know, it was done. Where we're going to be the three seed. I just wish it would have been a different day. I thought that there was a chance they moved us ahead of either Auburn or Kentucky, but yes, you're right. It did seem like once they announced Duke as the two seed in the first bracket that it was over. Which, Will, you can probably answer this better, but. Outside of just the disrespect, it doesn't seem like Tennessee's draw was actually bad for a three seed. Like, I would be more upset if I was Villanova, actually, and that I was a two that had to play a red-hot Tennessee team. I mean, honestly, I would be most mad if I was Arizona, because not only is it Tennessee and Villanova on the bottom half of your bracket, they have to play Houston, who is top five in Ken Palm, and I mean, it's not like their road to the Elite Eight is easy at all. But yeah, I mean, Tennessee, at least numbers-wise... Their half of the uh, South region bracket, Tennessee is the highest rated team. 
And I don't feel like that's really going to come as a surprise to anybody who's watched them play over the last two months. It feels like... Well, I mean, uh, Villanova, uh, Villanova also has to play Loyola. Yeah, that's a, that's a thing. Their path to the Sweet 16 is significantly tougher than Tennessee's. And, you know, I mean... That's uh, what I'm Michigan, saying. Michigan's, I, I 33rd feel... and, Michigan's 33rd and Kim Palm Loyola's 24th, so... It's not like Colorado State's higher than that, right? Like, where's Colorado Co- State? Colorado, like Colorado State is 31st, right, Ohio so State like... is 32nd, and Michigan is 33rd. So all three of those teams are in our on our side of the bracket in our region. Um, but Loyola is much higher than all of those at 24th. Not to mention that, you know, uh, Arizona has to play – I didn't. I didn't realize Illinois had fallen to seventeenth in Ken Palm, but like like he said, Kansas is uh, Houston is fourth overall in Ken Palm. No, yeah. So I I don't actually mind our draw at all. I was annoyed at the disrespect and how you know the there's nothing you can do, in my opinion. Like when you look at just the side by side resumes to say that Tennessee should have finished fourth out of Kentucky, Auburn, and Duke. Like, there's nothing you can convince me, or Wisconsin even, that Tennessee should finish last. When you look at all those resumes side by side, it's laughable. And the fact that I felt bad for Lenardi that he had to go on TV and try to, like, explain it whenever he was just like, look, I told you you were going to be a three seed, and you're a three seed. And, you know, he was right because he understands the committee's dumb as fuck, but it was just, it was sad to see them come on there and try to have to explain it, especially the other guy who Gary Parrish asked that stumbled around talking about Wisconsin and quad one wins and didn't know what the hell he was talking about. He talked about Wisconsin's road record, which, like, I, you know, now I would think that the the the, the whole commentary narrative about around Tennessee and not being at home, that can be shut down now. Because Tennessee just fired off three straight victories. And only trailed for like a minute and a half. A minute and a half. Yeah, and one of those was... A neutral site, yes, but it was a neutral site road game against Kentucky. And, I mean, I, I just, it almost felt like to me, hearing people justify it, that it was like, if Tennessee would have been better off if their schedule was flipped, and they had won all these games at the beginning and then trailed off at the end, kind of like Auburn did, because, you like, Lenardi would say the whole season, you know, you have to look at the whole season, and, and it was like, well... You do have to look at the whole season, and Tennessee, the games that are at the end are in the whole season, too. Yeah, bitch, like the games just ended two hours ago. We're, we're paying attention to the whole season. It's not the first half of the season matters more than the second half. That's yeah, not what that means. It's like, you know, used to, like, I don't know when it's, I don't know when they changed it, but like my whole childhood, one thing the committee always looked at was the last 10 games. They always looked at the last 10 games. They stopped doing that, which is, which is probably for the best because the whole season should matter. But it's like now it's like the opposite of it. Whereas, like, well, Tennessee got on this run at the end of the season, and those games don't lend as much weight to, say, Auburn beating Kentucky at the beginning of the season for whatever reason. Whereas, just like, all these wins that Tennessee had the last month and a half didn't count as much as to how Tennessee played in December, January, and in the first half of March. It, just the, the, that guy that talked to Gary Parrish, his reasoning – made no sense. He was somehow dumber than Joe Lenardi. Lenardi's Lenardi's explanation didn't make any sense and I didn't feel bad for him like because he could at least like try to justify it. And he said, "Well, I have my metrics that are, you know, confidential or whatever." And it's just like yeah. and well, he, was, he was he was a condescending asshole, you're yeah. right. And Reese Davis was just like holding his feet to the fire. 
about it. And like, Lenardi didn't really have anything. The 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 guy that Gary Parish talked to didn't have anything. I don't think the guy that is the current chairman of the committee had anything either right now. And he's like what? He's like an athletic dep- director in like the Southland Conference or something. Like why is he over the bracket? Why is he over the bracket out of a conference that gets one team in a year? The selection committee is just athletic directors and whatnot. So if you think about it, it's like a Southland guy or Big 12 guy or whoever, they're not actually, I don't think those guys are really going through the metrics in detail like we do. I mean, you could pick out, like if you let Ken Pomeroy do the bracket or if you let somebody who knows how to balance win-loss record with how good were you against that win-loss record, uh, I think the whole structure of this would be a lot better. Well, I don't think it should be one or the other. I think it should be the Ken Pomeroy types mixed in with some people who set gambling odds, mixed in with some people who just look at, you know, wins and losses. And, I mean, you already have the metric of quad one wins. I mean, that would be a pretty good basis just to kind of start from. Like, the net rating should be a pretty good basis just to start from because we were told that that metric matters. And, and it you know, doesn't just going all. down the list, it didn't matter at all. That's that. That's to me, it's not even that, like, it's just a bunch of, like, administrators that are doing this. It's that... If you're going to have a bunch of administrators doing that, well, then give them some type of advanced metric system to use to guide their hand, but also include, like, just straight-up win, wins and losses, you know, as well. But, like, the quad one wins, they, they... They have to matter, like... They obviously don't. And the bad losses have to matter, too. You can't lose at home to Nebraska. I don't care who the hell you beat on the road if you lose at home to Nebraska. Yeah. If you get your ass beat by North Carolina at home in your last game, I don't care who you beat on the road. I don't care lose who you beat at Virginia at home. Yeah, lose right. Like yeah. that's just dumb as hell. No, what? No matter how you spin it, it's dumb as hell, and they had no justification for it. And I hate that. Like you said, you're you're 100 right, Seth. Despite you being a coward that didn't come to Tampa, you're dead on about this. You. It, it was really sad that here we are bitching about this right now as we just won our first championship in 43 years. Yeah. Like, we're all mad about this instead of celebrating how damn good we're playing right now. Seth, I don't know, or excuse me, Will, I don't know if the numbers actually back it up, but the team, I just keep jumping out, us being a three seed and Villanova being a two seed, and it just gives me flashbacks to 2008 when I remember drawing Louisville as a three seed as <laughs> being like, fuck, they're about to beat our ass, and that's exactly what happened. Are we comparable to this that Louisville team at all, or how, how does that work? I think we might have lost him. We might have lost well. Either way, Seth, do you agree with that at all or no? Yeah, well, so I was going to, like, when you started talking about Villanova, I was going to say this. It's like, you know, the, the, the issue of the head-to-head matchup, in this case it was brought up. The head-to-head matchup with Villanova was brought up and that they beat us by 18 or whatever. That's fine. They beat our ass. Tennessee looked awful. If you put a gun to my head with a full chamber – and you had to say, who is the better team right now? Well, I'm saying Tennessee is. And I, I'll be honest with you, I don't even know that it's that close right now. Tennessee will be favored by at least two and a half points in that Ten- game. Villanova might come out and whip our ass in, in, next weekend if we make it that far. But as of this weekend and Monday, March the 14th, like it doesn't even seem remotely close. I mean, it is close, but like Tennessee is just straight up better than Villanova. And I, like Lenardi said, you know, Tennessee wasn't going to be, gonna, wasn't going to be you know, a higher seed than the Big East champion. Like, bro, this isn't this isn't 2005. This isn't 1998 where, like, the world stops to watch the Big East tournament in Madison Square Garden. Nobody even cares. The Big East tournament is on FS1. If it mattered, it would be on ESPN. 
Or Fox. Or the main Fox. Like, nobody even cares, dude. Like, nobody, like, they're not, they're not going to get in over the Big East champion. Why not? The Big East isn't good. They beat an injured Creighton team. All due respect to patron Mitchell, who is, you know, a big Creighton fan. We love Mitchell. But, yeah, like, they, they're not going to get over a Big East champion. Who gives a shit? The Big East it, is, yeah. is good. It's solid. But you can't say, like, I, I don't know. You, you can't put up the Big East while also trying to hold up the ACC and do all these things because the SEC was better than both of them. Yeah, and it's like, you know, that's what Lenardi said they certainly weren't going to be, you know, be higher than Duke, who I guess because they won the ACC. And it's like, well, if that's the case, then why didn't Wake Forest get in? If, if it matters that you won the ACC, why didn't Wake Forest get in? Why did Virginia Tech? Because Virginia Tech had to win that game Saturday night to get in. And if it's the ACC and they're as good as you're saying, Virginia Tech should have been in, period. But they weren't. They were just like, they were just like Richmond, basically. Is this how is this how college football fans feel? Like when the SEC just gets the benefit of the doubt every year? Whenever like we kind of know that in the last couple of years it's there's been like two and a half, three good teams, or you know, like really good teams outside of you know, Georgia, Alabama, and then you'll have one or two good teams. Maybe, but I don't know. But we still it's... get the benefit of the doubt, and then like here we are watching these on the flip side, not well, getting respect as the SEC whenever we're again, maybe the best basketball conference. Yeah. I mean, I think it is absurd the Big Ten got nine teams in. I mean, you're 100% right about what you said a year and a half, two years ago. Like, it's, it has, you know, played out exactly like you said, year after year. It's, it, to me, it's laughable that Michigan got in without even having to be in the playing game. <laughs> that, it, like, it, doesn't, it does seem crazy that Michigan didn't have to go to a playing game, too. They're just like, yeah, it's fine. You're good. You're in. Yeah, but, I mean, I, when you get down to that point, like I don't like to me, like I felt bad for AM and I feel like AM should have been in. The other the, on the flip side, it's like all they had to do was not lose eight straight games. Sure, I don't feel that bad for them, but like I, I feel like they got done wrong. Sure, like you said, it's their fault, but they kind of got done wrong. They should have at least punished Michigan for Jawan Howard trying to beat somebody's ass early in the year. <laughs> Make them play in the playing game for that reason alone. But they did give them Tennessee in the second round, where we're going to kick their ass. Do we have Will Warren back yet? Yes, I'm back. Okay. How do you feel about Tennessee in a potential matchup with Michigan as you are partly a Michigan man? Uh, pretty good. I mean, I gave a little bit of a scout on our Discord earlier, but the, the base of the Michigan thing is that they are very schizophrenic. Uh, they have alternated wins and losses for about a month straight now. They have not won more than two in a row since mid-January, but they also have not lost more than one in a row since January. Is it fair to kind of compare them to Alabama, who, you know, in our, in our conference is also schizophrenic? Worse than Alabama. I don't think Michigan has, like, the best wins like Alabama does. but And, it, and their best isn't as good as Alabama's best? Yeah, like, Michigan's best win is probably Purdue, I would say. And I think Where will, know, like, No, I'm asking, like, when, if Michigan were to play their A game, how high could yeah. they rank, in your opinion? Like, how good is their A game? I mean, they beat Purdue by 24, so on their best nights, when they're hitting and the opponent isn't, they're – about unbeatable, but the problem. So if Tennessee and Michigan both play an A game. Who who wins that game? Tennessee by like six, eight, something like that. Okay. I, I just I just can't figure where Michigan's points would come from if Dickinson is slowed down at all, because the rest of the Michigan roster is a lot of coin flips, and it's just which side does the coin come up on any given day? And we saw our defense. Despite what Tony Billy, uh, Tony Basilio tried to say, our defense is legit. It's been legit all year, and it went to Tampa and just whipped everyone's ass, just grinded everyone down to sawdust. Is Dickinson banged up? He had stomach issues 
like their second to last game, but I, I think that was just short lived, right, Will? He's back, but and the, it was alarming to me for him that like in the Big Ten tournament game when they were against Indiana and they needed buckets, like he did not look like he was fully into it. So maybe there's some sort of energy concern there, but yeah, I, I think. I frankly think Michigan is going to beat Colorado State possibly pretty easily, but I, it doesn't seem to me that they match up well with Tennessee at all. Tennessee currently minus 170 to get to the Sweet 16. I think that's a pretty safe bet. Because I imagine we'll be somewhere around two, minus 230, 240 at least against Michigan. Maybe even higher. I mean, I could see us being a six-point favorite if we have a good, uh, you know, good – performance in our first game. I'm a little frustrated about the draw simply because I hate being in Indianapolis with Michigan, who, you know, that's Big Ten country. And I hate being stuck with Big Blue Nation because those those people travel, man. They took over Tampa. I was really frustrated by that. Seth, you trying to make the trip up to Indianapolis or no? I am waiting until the next weekend as of right now. Okay, so you are you are planning to go to San Antonio? If Tennessee makes the second weekend, yes, I'll be there. It's also my father's birthday this weekend, so my uh, sisters are coming home. So I plan on being there the second weekend for sure. But I plan on watching this one at home. I just really, don't, I just don't, don't want to go watch us play Longwood, man. Like I know it's it's NCAA tournament. And like when I was younger, I would have jumped at the opportunity. I went to watch us play American that one when the year we the year we lost to Louisville. I was at that NC tournament watching us play American 2 versus 15 but like now I'm just like man I just really don't want to go watch us play Longwood. Yeah, I'm not I'm not able to go Thursday. I might ride up Saturday. I'm planning on riding up Saturday, but I as well have been looking at uh getting out to San Antonio, so maybe we will share that embrace when we go to our first final four. We can go to the Alamo. We will remember the Alamo. We will walk down the boardwalk together. We will look at all the big fat white women that Charles Barkley talked about. We will have a grand old time. <laughs> Unlike the Tennesseans that died in the Alamo, we will not be dying. We will be winning because we're winners. I don't talk me off the talk me off of my high horse right now because I have a lot of confidence in this Tennessee basketball team, and it is March and it is coached by Rick Barnes. And unlike many other people in Knoxville, this podcast has always believed in Rick Barnes. We have never had anything bad to say about him, and you know some of the haters are starting to get to me. Should I be worried about Rick Barnes in March? Will no, I mean. I get asked this question a lot, but it's just like sample size stuff. I mean, Barnes has made a final four. He's made a few lead eights. It's the, the misses stand out a lot more than the hits, obviously. But I, I mean, you're talking to somebody who is likely going to put Tennessee in their final four. I just think Tennessee is a great value pick if nothing else. I mean, I straight up think they're better than Villanova. I mean, they're better than anybody in their half of the bracket. And as long as you get to the elite eight, I think anything can happen. Seth, you have been the president of the Rick Barnes fan club pretty much since day one. Um, do you do you feel like he's hitting all the right buttons? I mean, because that's how I feel is that in the SEC tournament and second half of the year, sure, some lineup stuff you know, made you scratch your head, but I think right now he's locked in. You know, Will pointed out in the Discord game thread, like you, you basically only played seven people. You didn't really have a Victor Bailey or Justin Powell moment outside of whenever Kennedy Chandler – Sprained his ankle for the second time against Mississippi State. I thought Powell came in and played some good minutes. And, you know, Bailey gave you at least a couple good minutes against Kentucky. It hit a little floater. But for the most part, we're only playing seven guys. Like we have a tight rotation, and we're only playing our best players. And, you know, basically the last 12 minutes of the game yesterday when you're trying to close out a championship, it was just Josiah at the four and Fulkerson at the five, and let's go. 
Yeah, I think that you always have to have it in the back of your mind. But on the other hand, the things that Barnes has done that has really grinded our gears, that has really driven us crazy, he's he's learned from his mis- he's learned from his mistakes. I mean, like Tennessee stopped the mid range shooting and went to the three ball and you know exclusivity basically. Like Tennessee is shooting a three or they're shooting a really close shot. Uh, he started playing people when they had two fouls. It sometimes bit him, and you know it sometimes bit him, like at Arkansas. But he stopped sitting people for two fouls, and then even if they're freshmen, um, he's gone to the four guard lineup often and has stuck with it. And he seems to realize that's our best lineup. So like we're just running with the four guard lineup. I mean, so all the things that he's done that just like blew my mind. He's not doing. Um, like, I think that this is the best coaching job he's ever done at Tennessee. I mean, I think that's fair to say, especially with how frustrating this team was at the beginning of the year. Now, we knew it at the time, just some of it was as simple as Tennessee is missing wide open shots and these guys aren't terrible shooters. Eventually, they will regress to the mean in a positive way. And I think that's sort of the case. And I would say Josiah's probably exceeded what I thought because I added it up, stats by John. Since the LSU game, he's shooting thirty over 39% from three. I believe he was like 38 of 98. And, you know, he's torching the nets. And Vescovy's 38% or 39%. And Chandler's 37%. So, I, I don't know if Josiah's actually a 40% shooter. But he has been, the, you know, the last two months of the season. Which obviously makes this offense look a whole lot better. And he's put the ball on the floor. You know, he's doing a great job putting the ball on the floor. I mean... So some of that is like what you said. It was just it was just like the average the law of average is going to win out, but I do think Rick deserves some credit for like simply staying the course. I mean, sometimes like a great overhaul isn't needed. And it took a, it takes some faith after some of those games we played to simply say we're just going to keep doing what we're doing and you know, the ship will right itself and it did. And I think so. I think he's done a better job this year. I think this is his best coaching job. Like he 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 stayed the course when people were losing their minds. I mean, it was ugly to watch this team a lot of times. It was not fun. They lost some horrific games. Um, and even won some horrific games, like the Ole Miss some, game and South yeah, Carolina, South and Carolina Vander, at Vanderbilt. Like those were all ugly. But he stayed the course, and you know, for that, that is like that's credit to him because it, you know you had to have like you had to have a lot of faith in your players. And you had to really know the pulse of your team to do that. Um, and then, again, the NCAA tournament is what it is. Some of the stuff that's happened in, at Tennessee when we've been in the tournament has been very, very bad luck. The Ryan Klein is hitting some of those threes he made. He played the best game of his life, literally. And you ran into Loyola. Now, last year was bad. That team was dead anyways, but yeah, last year was just a horrible performance. That team was dead, but last year was bad. And so some of it, I mean, some of it is just bad luck or whatever, but some of it's not, you know. I mean, but this team I've been forgiving him for starting Grant Williams on the bench in overtime either, but we we already addressed the, uh, the foul thing. So... But this team is like playing better, you know. It's playing its best basketball right now. Like, to me, the one big knock was like, what are they going to do when they're away from TBA? And they went out and they just played three games where they basically led, 
for 120 minutes straight of basketball. Pretty damn impressive. Let's get to some patron questions. Patreon.com slash Reed's Ranch. Got the patron March Madness pool up. $20 if you want in. Just go to Patreon and you'll get the link and join. Venmo me the money and I'll hold it. And then whoever wins gets the money. Simple as. We got uh, our game threads. Will's pumping out good content for everyone on the Discord. Got a, a little bit of a watch party on Saturday. I might not be there, but I, I got a bar tab for the patrons again at Hops and Hollers. Go by and have a place to watch the game if you need to be here in Knoxville. Let's get to some patron questions. Before we do that, let's shout out some new patrons. We got some movement, Seth. People were tired of hearing us complain. We got some movement. New $5 patron, Scott Harvey. Shout out to Brother Scott. We love you and appreciate you. New $5 patron, Jarrett Henry. Shout out to Brother Jarrett. We love you and appreciate you. New $5 patron, Jonathan Hogden. Shout out to Brother Jonathan. We love you and appreciate you. And Eric Witt upped his pledge from $10 to $20. Shout out to Brother Eric. We love, we love you, you the most, Eric. You. We love you the most, we do. but happy to have some new blood as well. They joined the Discord, so that's good. We got some new blood in there, and you know, no complaints so far from them. So they're loving the content, or at least uh, you know, tolerating it. Shout out to everyone. Also, I met in Tampa. Met some good people. Appreciate you guys. All right, Will. Uh, what a couple? What kind of what couple questions do you want to get to from your Twitter thread? Uh, Sawyer Smith asked, "Better matchup for Tennessee stylistically, Michigan or Colorado State?" Yep. So, uh, but take your allegiances out of it because we know you're, you know, you got some <laughs> Michigan ties, and that will probably be a dreadful day for you having to root against Michigan. But yeah, who is scarier for Tennessee if they are to advance to the second round, which we will be advancing to the second round? Uh, it's still Michigan. I mean, I frankly do not see what Colorado State's path to points would be uh, if Tennessee forces them to take all of the tough twos they already take. Uh, We'll I'd get to Colorado State at a later point, too. But, I mean, that's a team. They're hyper-reliant on converting those tough twos, both at the rim and in mid-range. They're hyper-reliant on David Roddy, who's their best player. I believe was the Mountain West player of the year. But uh, against the best competition they've played, the twos dried up really quickly. Like, San Diego State's the one top ten defense in the Mountain West. Colorado State played them three times. CSU scored 49, 58, and 58. Uh, I, I just don't see what their path to a win would be, and I kind of think that game could get out of hand pretty quickly. So you think Michigan, Tennessee easily handles handles Colorado State? Easily. And I think that Most the likely. Or I mean, you think more. Tennessee – go ahead. Well, I think the, the Michigan game, in theory, would be a little more interesting because they have some extra shooters, whereas like Colorado State's got two guys that produce the majority of the offense. Michigan is more Dickinson-based, but they – they're really good at drawing fouls and really good at hitting the boards, two things Colorado State isn't, which is uh, of interest against a front court that's been a little foul-happy at times. But, the, I mean, it goes back to what I said. Michigan is wildly inconsistent and could just as easily lose by 20. So I, I would prefer to play Colorado State personally because I think most of the scenarios where that game unfolds ends in like a Tennessee 10 to 15-point win. Should we be worried at all about Longwood? I guess we've glossed over them. Like, do they have a legitimate path to victory? Tennessee favored by 17. I assume Longwood's a team that can shoot the ball pretty well. Most of those mid-majors are. Like, is, what's your quick breakdown of them? Not to step on your show me my opponent. So, they do rank eighth in three-point percentage, which is not ideal. But they don't take many threes. So, I think if they took more, the percentage would go down. They're also – they they're – 
what's funny is like Tennessee has more or less played this team already by playing Colorado. So Colorado, 30th in three-point percentage, uh, 250th in two-point percentage. Longwood is 252nd. Both teams really reliant on free throws to keep games close. Tennessee blew Colorado out with relative ease down the stretch in that game. Uh, and Longwood's defense is significantly worse than Colorado's. So, uh, I mean, Longwood played one top 100 team this year. It was Iowa, and they lost by 33. So I, okay. I would be quite surprised if it was close at all. All right, next question. Uh, five different people asked for, like, bracket busters, double-digit seeds, whatnot. So I'll split it into two halves. You can fill in with your own. What are the 10 to 12 seeds you think could go far, and then, like, 13 to 16 seeds you think could win a game or two? So 10 to 12 seeds I like the most, Loyola and Virginia Tech. Uh, I think Loyola is probably going to be favored to beat Ohio State. And... They'll uh, play a Villanova team that's kind of taken a dip defensively as of late. Uh, Virginia Tech gets Texas, which is a head case team, as I think we both know. Uh, Hold on, Will. You, you don't give everybody the same picks. We're doing a bracket pull. Everyone's going to have the same damn bracket if they listen to all this. <laughs> Moving on. Moving on. Okay. DM Will. All right. Will loves when you DM him, DM him questions, so DM him some questions. We can't be giving out every pick out here. Everyone's going to have the same damn bracket. I love getting replied to and direct message to all of it. Give him the dopamine hit. Give him the Twitter interactions. <laughs> those are all the good ones. Oh, last one that I think you should answer on here. How did John end up with all those beads in Tampa from Falls Tim 85? I do want to point out that I did not show my penis on the road, on the street there in <laughs> Tampa. That was just a joke. They were having a float, which was grand marshaled by Steve Wilkos. Which, freshman year of college, me would have been very excited. I loved the Steve Wilco show then. He was the Grand Marshal, and there's a long-ass parade, and they were just throwing beads out for no reason. It was really, really cold, and I just caught some. And I did make a joke on Instagram that I showed my penis, and my mother was not very happy. So I just want to clarify, I did not pull my penis out on the road. That did not happen. That was a joke. I just want to make people laugh. Thank you for your service. My mother was very upset with me. It did not happen. I did not pull out my penis. It was way too cold, and everyone that listens to this knows I'm a grower and not a shower, so that would have been embarrassing. They would have not thrown me any beads had I pulled out my penis. Next question. Let's get to some patron questions. Seth, are you uh, monitoring the thread? Yeah, I'm watching it. All right, give us some uh, patron questions. Uh, Brother Marwan, a.k.a. Wheezy, a.k.a. the Palestinian Playboy. You get to add one former ball to this team for the tournament run. Who are you taking? I think the answer is Grant Williams. See, I, I think people are saying that's the obvious answer. And I'm not taking Grant Williams in the NBA version. I'm thinking of back back to Grant Williams in college that yes, Rick yes. Barnes wouldn't let shoot threes. And I, I'm, I know Grant Williams was great, but I, I would worry that that would completely change the philosophy of this team to where we would then be just dumping the ball in the post all the time to him. And that, that gives me a little bit of pause, to be honest. Like, I think if you had Grant Williams on this team, he would be playing the four exclusively, and then we don't play our small ball lineup, and then Josiah, you know, is out there floating around, and who knows how he's playing. So, I know Grant Williams is our best player we've had, and it sounds crazy, but I would rather have a guy that could just maybe sub in for Josiah because that's the one thing we're lacking is another guy who can play the small ball four. 
So, like, I mean, to me, like, J.P. Prince, I think, would be a good small ball four in today's game. I know he can't shoot as well, but Grant just seemed like it, I would worry stylistically. I want somebody that can fit in on this team. Seth, or excuse me, Will, who from the last, like, 10 years could you easily just, like, plug into this team and not really miss a beat? Do you think it is Grant? Are my concerns legitimate, or is that just a stupid thought by myself? No, I mean, like, Tennessee could use something at, like, the small forward position, maybe, as, like, a spare backup. The problem is that when you do this experiment, Tennessee already has a pretty stout rotation we like. So I don't know, like, because you don't want to add somebody obvious like Admiral, for example, because then you're having to take away minutes from somebody else. Yeah, I mean, I, I really like Tennessee's four guards, and I really like Tennessee's four bigs. I mean, I, I know the bigs aren't – none of them are really special individually, although I love what Hunley Hatfield has been, uh, you know, kind of giving. I thought he played really confidently against Kentucky. He even won them over. They joined in on my Let's Go Brandon chant, so they were rooting for him as well. They enjoyed his hustle. Again, none of them top-end talent just yet, but I, I think as a four, four-headed monster, if you will – that they all kind of complement each other well and complement what this team does. At least when the guards are hitting shots, right? Like whenever we're out actually hitting threes, I don't mind Fulkerson and Uros just passing the ball on the perimeter if the guys are actually cutting and driving and Chandler's hitting his floater and Chandler's deciding to attack the rim and and, and doing those things that makes the team flow pretty well. Well, yeah, like since they pulled the bigs out of, the, out of post-ups and out of the paint, the whole offense has worked a lot better, right? See, that's why I'm worried about Seth just adding Grant. Is just like I think that it would kind of hurt the team or at least change the team, and I really like the team the way it's set up right now. Especially if Kennedy can be that go-to scorer we've been begging for because, you know, I thought he got to the rim. Or it seemed like against A&M, every time they sort of got close, Chandler's just like, okay, I'm going to shoot a three, and I'm going to make it, and the game's going to get busted back open. Next question, Seth. <clears throat> Next question, Seth. I'm looking. I'm looking. I'm looking. Um, there are a lot of there are a lot. Did of I not questions. just ask if you were keeping an eye on the thread? Yeah, I am. Uh, oh, yeah. I, I see the one I want to ask, Brother CB. He asks, which SEC job would I most like Brother Andy Kennedy to get? The answer is none, because I want to continue to root for Andy Kennedy. He is at his alma mater, and he has him in the NCAA tournament. I want him to stay at UAB. I don't want to hate Brother Andy Kennedy. Oh, I couldn't hate him, but I don't want to root against him. I love him too much, and he's doing such a good job at UAB. Had a huge win over Louisiana Tech. I was obviously surprised that Georgia reached out to Mike White. <laughs> yeah. That seems like a uh, uninspired hire, right? Why were they rushing it so much? It's not like they're trying to keep a recruiting class together. It's not like the AD's under pressure. They just won a, a goddamn national championship in football. Like, you're exactly right. Why, why rush? Like, there's always at least, like, two coaches that come out of the NCAA tournament that you're like, okay, this guy deserves a big job, and – they went ahead and hired Mike White. I, I understand. Like, it makes sense for him. Oh, like, yeah, for sure. Yeah, 100%. It's just so weird that, like, I wonder how that conversation between uh, Scott Strickland and Mike White went, the Florida Athletic Director. I mean, I, he Scott was probably like, oh, man, this is awesome. Good luck. Enjoy Athens. <laughs> just bizarre. Just, you know, I mean – and, I, and I'm pressing enough for Frank Martin today, too. Frank seems like a good guy. I hate to see him go. He does seem like a good guy. What would be the most likely path for him? Like, it, it doesn't seem like those big-time coaches have to 
be assistant coaches like they do in football. It seems like they just kind of go back to the mid-majors, right? Like, is Frank Martin going to have a, a mid-major job next year, or what's going to happen? Kansas State, Kansas State going to hire him back again? I, that's not a bad idea, although he kind of torched them whenever he left. Yeah. yeah. But it would be – it would make sense. But, again, he kind of torched them on the way out. And then, you know, I mean, I guess Ben Hallen hasn't officially been fired yet. Well, I thought I saw yesterday he had been, but I guess I... They came out and issued a statement saying that he is going to coach the team. He is going to be the coach for the NIT. Oh, that I'm sure that will inspire the people. I'm sure they'll rally. I'm sure the team will rally behind him to try to keep his job. Uh, and I believe they play in the NIT tomorrow night. So tomorrow night's his last game because those players are going to want to hit. Those players are going to want to hit the beats for spring break. So I would imagine they'll have a very quick exit. Yeah. So. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I I've seen several people link. Andy Kennedy to LSU just because LSU is not going to be able to go get the guy they want because of the sanctions and stuff. But I really hope he stays at UAB. Yeah, I wonder. I wonder what the LSU job looks like with the sanctions. Like, are they going to be able to poach somebody big? Because we know they like to sw- swing their dick and try to go out and get the big name. But it seems like that would be hard right now. Whenever they're about to get put on probation. How funny is it that it just like. Will Wade's tenure came to that just of a, a screeching just, halt. A screeching halt, like a technical that forced Arkansas on an 18-0 run, and then getting fired the next day. A very unsanctimonious end. You know what they say: life comes at you fast. It does. He's only 39, so I guess they'll have to see what he gets placed on him, sanction-wise, which it should be. It should be quite strong because they were paying players out of an account in his wife's name. He has to get the same thing Donnie Tindall got. Give him 10 years. So he has to get something, but we'll see. He's only 39. Um, so, I, you know, once that's over, he'll be able to get a job immediately again. But, yeah, I wonder what he, what is going through his mind right now. I don't know. Any other questions? No, I mean a bunch of questions that we've already we've we've already covered, like you know, best um, matchup on our side of the bracket. Um, what was your favorite moment of the SEC tournament that you didn't come to because you weren't involved the fuck up like I was? That's a question by me, John Reed to Seth Hughes. I don't know. I really did like. This is probably not my favorite moment, but one moment I really, really loved was Josiah hitting the four straight threes Friday yeah. night. Yeah, that was nice. Because that game was sort of kind of close at that point, and then he just went ahead and buried them. Yeah, yep, and then it was over. I really liked the six straight points by Santi yesterday. A bunch of nerds have been hating on Josiah for a long time, saying he can't shoot, saying he can't score. And he just said, watch this. Boop, boop, boop. Boop. I actually he hit two straight against Kentucky too, didn't he? To kind of like kind of get the lead stretched out. I thought he had back-to-back there against Kentucky, too, but I might be wrong. Maybe it was a three-point play and a three. He he had the three-point play to make it 10-4. to four. Okay. Um, I think Kennedy hit the one to make it 7-4. to four. I really like, I mean, it's, you know, cheesy, whatever you can say, the post-game interview with Josiah and his arm around Rick Barnes. Yeah, the players obviously really, really love Rick Barnes. Afterwards, you know, I don't know if they showed it on TV. I wasn't watching TV. I was in the stands because I was vaulted up. But, like, Vescovy, like, snuck behind the podium, and they like, they, like, snuck up on Rick Barnes, and he picked him up, like, off the ground, and 
him and Kumwa and Barnes had like a long, just kind of three man like embrace as you know they celebrated, and that was before like it really got kicked off. So that that was pretty nice. And Josiah, you know, clearly loves Barnes. You know, says he owes him everything in his life. So that that was nice for sure. It was nice. Um, Fulkerson crying was really nice. Um, the plate with like one second left when the players were trying to like give Barnes a hug and stuff was really. It was just nice to see everyone happy. I mean, it sounds cheesy, but like the culture is healthy. The culture is healthy. It is. They are a an extremely easy group of guys to root for. Every single one. Which is crazy compared to how they started the season, where we all kind of dreaded watching them play. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Will, do you have a favorite moment from the SEC tournament? It's got. I mean, it's the. Super gritty Vescovy offensive rebound to more or less seal the game, honestly, because that was over two six foot nine guys. That's crazy for a shooting guard to be able to pick up that board. They had Chandler clamped. He gets stopped at the free throw line, gets stripped, and then has to, you know, go back to the three point line and throw one up. And yeah, Vescovy skies in and gets that. And, you know, at that point, you're like, okay, Tennessee just won. Tennessee just won. Although. Was that before or after he almost got a flagrant foul? Because I was a little worried about that being that you know when they went to review it, I, they, were, they weren't really showing replays in the arena, and I was like, oh, no. Because, Seth, I don't know if you remember, we talked about that after the Arkansas game. I said both he and Ziegler are going to get called for launching their shoulder into an opponent. I thought whenever we were choking away against Arkansas that he was going to get called for that, and then he did against Kentucky. I thought his rebound was after that. Okay, I wasn't sure. I couldn't remember. I think it is. I mean, that call was just horrible. That call was horrible. Just, I mean, just. I thought it was going to be a flagrant. I was terrified. Yeah. That call was terrible. The the, the rebound was amazing. Um, I mean, Vescovy just plays so damn hard, man. Like, his, like, he's good at defense. Like, he doesn't get credit for it, but he's good at defense just because he plays so hard. We got a bunch of dogs, and I, I have a lot of confidence in this team. Underrated moment for me against Kentucky. I, th- I think they cut it to eight. And then Chandler comes out and hit a, hits a mid-range jumper and then gets a steal, fast break dunk yep. to push it back to 12. Yep, and it was just like that. It was like that. And you're like, oh, yeah, well, never mind. We have the best player on the court. We're going to win this game. Some of the – some of the it, it, like it's, it's so beautiful when Chandler drives to the rim and hits a layup over somebody. And it, it just like goes right over their fingertips – He's got the floater working as well. He needed the floater to get going, and it's starting to drop, and it's opening things up for him. And he's being really aggressive. Many people were ready to clown me, Seth, for saying he was the best point guard in Tennessee history halfway through the season whenever he wasn't playing well. But um, name another point guard that won SEC tournament MVP. I don't – is there one for Tennessee? Does Tennessee have any other point guards that won MVP of the SEC tournament? Because I can't think of any. I mean, I'm sure there might have been some back in the 70s or whatever, but not in a long time. Yeah, I mean, he, he's playing awesome. He's he's playing. I, you know, and we haven't really talked about much, but, like, Brandon Huntley Hatfield has gotten a lot better. He has. And, you know, I don't know if this team plays the same, have, you know, had Kamwan not going down. I know it sucks because he was actually playing really, really well, and I thought that was going to be a death sentence for this team. But Huntley Hatfield showed up. And he has gotten better, and he is making actual hustle plays now, which is drastically different than when he was so lazy that we didn't want to play him at all. 
And, you know, Jonas, I do, is making plays as well. And, I, you know, his minutes weren't great in this tournament, but I thought he made an impact when he was in and made an impact down the stretch, you know, obviously in the regular season. They had Oscar Sheboy very frustrated. They, they, they had Kentucky fans very frustrated. And I know Urosh isn't great, but, man, he is such a good agitator, and that does affect teams. And it does fire our team up. Maybe the turning point of the season was whenever he wanted to fight those guys at LSU. Because that turned Vescovy into a badass, too. Yeah, Vescovy's just, he's still looking for a fight. Did you see that video of that Arkansas yeah. fan? Like, like Vescovy <laughs> wanted to deck that dude. He stopped and turned around. He wanted to punch that dude. Santiago Vescovy, he is always, always looking to, for somebody to fight with. And he's going to lead us to our first ever Final Four. Seth, any, or excuse me, uh, Will, any thoughts on the way out? Uh, I mean, I'm going to put it up here. I mean, I doubted them in the SEC tournament, but I really do not doubt them in the big dance. I think Tennessee makes the final four. Seth, any final thoughts? I love you boys. Uh, I mean, I really do deeply believe they will be playing next weekend. And my thing has always been get to the Sweet 16 and see what happens. And I think we're straight up better than Villanova. Like, I think we're a, a good bit better. Um, than Villanova. And, you know, Arizona, you've already beaten them once. Who knows if uh, who knows if that Estonian point guard is going to be healthy. His ankle looks bad, man. That's a bad-looking ankle. I don't know if you saw a picture he posted on Twitter, but it is dark. It is very black and blue. I was shocked that during the championship game, he didn't have a boot on it or anything. He was just standing up on the sideline in Crocs, in tie-dyed Crocs, and his pants pushed into his socks. Crocs are pretty Crocs. comfy, though, man. Hashtag ad. So, you know, I mean, you've already beaten Arizona once. Like, if you, you know, I, I I, think they'll be playing the second weekend. They're playing the best basketball they've played all season. Well, hopefully you don't show up to San Antonio to jinx it. I think you should just stay at home. I will be there in San Antonio. I feel like you shouldn't come since you didn't come this weekend and we won our first SEC championship in 43 years. Maybe you should just sit this one out. I'll be there. Will, well, real quick on the way out. Uh, some breaking Tennessee basketball news. Michael Schwartz uh, was going to be the next head coach at ECU. How big of a loss is this for Tennessee? That's a huge bummer to hear on the way out. Uh, okay, he, never mind. PCO, PCO. No, PCO. <laughs> producer, cut that out. Love you, boys. Have a good night. I'll get this put up, and uh, you know, I'll talk to you soon. So ECU is hiring Schwartz? Yes, yes, and that is – John uh, Gilbert. Yeah. I, the ESPN said they were going to look at him or – Rob Lanier because of the John Gilbert stuff. Well, they got Michael Schwartz. And somebody had gotten Rick Barnes to not be stubborn anymore, and I hope it wasn't him. But anyways, PCO, PCO, we just won a championship. Oh, he'll, gonna... he'll still be here for the tournament. Yeah, I know, I know. I know. Okay. And we're going to go to the Sweet 16 easily. We're going to beat Michigan's ass easily. And then we're going to turn around and we're going to beat Villanova, and we'll take our chance in the Elite Eight. We'll see what happens. Love you, boys. See ya. Bye-bye. Can I open a window? Can somebody open a door? There's so many reasons 
Take it anymore 